1 Corinthians chapter 15, we'll read together verses 1 through 19. And uh, while we're turning there, we do have handouts. I think I think you all have them tonight. If you don't, our ushers can provide one for you so that you can follow along with uh, the message tonight. Beginning at 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 1. Moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel which I preached to you, which also you received, and in which you stand, by which you also are saved, if you hold fast the word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you, first of all, that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins, according to the Scriptures, and that He was buried, and that He rose again the third day, according to the Scriptures, and that He was seen by Cephas, then by the twelve. After that, He was seen by over five hundred brethren at once of whom the greater part remain to the present, but some have fallen asleep. After that, he was seen by James, then by all the apostles, then last of all, he was seen by me also, as by one born out of due time. For I am the least of the apostles, whom I am not worthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me, was not in vain, but I labored more abundantly than they all. Yet not I, but the grace of God which was with me. Therefore, whether it was I or they, so we preach, and so you believe. Now, if Christ is preached that if Christ is preached that He has been raised from the dead, how do some among you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then how then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, then our preaching is empty and your faith is also empty. Yes, and we are found false witnesses of God because we have testified of God that He raised up Christ, whom He did not raise up, if in fact the dead do not rise. For if the dead do not rise, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, your faith is futile, you are still in your sins. Then also those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men the most pitiable. Let's pray together. Lord, we do thank you for your word. We pray that as we talk about the resurrection, ascension, and reign and rule of our Lord Jesus, that you would bless our time in your word together for your glory. And in the name of Christ, we do pray. Amen. Before we begin tonight, I just want to say a couple of things. First of all, um, if you have not seen the video that I posted on our Slack general channel uh, from the Two Ways to Live organization, Matthias Media, I would encourage you to go back and look at that. Because actually there's one before that. It's called, the I forgot what it's called, but it's the, it's the usual conversation Someone says, okay, so, so what is a Christian? And uh, it's two men, they're co-workers, and 
the Christian, he, he tries to give a definition and tries to tell his co-worker about uh, Christianity, what it means to be a Christian. And he's in left field, right field, he's in the parking lot, everywhere. And then the video that I posted is actually called The Better Conversation. And so if you know the outline that we've been going over, the outline that's um, in this tract and uh, the Two Ways to Live outline, then you can see that he's using that, that he has these, these uh, marks in his mind, these uh, points, all six of them, in his mind. And so he's just using those as a roadmap for his conversation. It's not like he's saying, okay, uh, Roman numeral one, A, two, you know, he's not doing that, but he's got them fixed in his mind. And it's very helpful, I think, to see what that looks like um, in real time, in, in real life. And, of course, it is staged for our benefit. But all that's to say, that's remember, that's part of the goal of what we're doing on Sunday evenings going through this outline. Part of the goal, or one of the goals, I should say, is to learn or review uh, the gospel message, a very uh, simple gospel presentation. It is also to see that the gospel is logical, I mean, God is truth, truth is logical, and it makes sense then that the gospel is logical. But also, uh, the, the end game here is uh, for us to be able to present the gospel, to have a ready answer, 1 Peter 3.15, to give a reasoned answer for the hope that is in us when we are asked. And, uh, you know, I don't know what it might look like in your daily life. It might be mothers dealing with your children. It might be dealing with neighbors. It might be dealing with coworkers. Um, for, for years, I, I worked alongside other, other people, and I can remember at one point, I worked in a very small office with one other man, a young man younger than me, and uh, we had a radio in, in that office, kind of a community radio, and so they you know, we played music all day, whatever. And so I put out these hooks, you know, with, we'd see if he'd take the bait. And uh, um, a, a song would play, and it might have some philosophy behind it or whatever. i say, what is he talking about there? And then from there, we, we'd talk about what he was talking about in the song, kind of analyze it. And from there, somehow I was, by God's grace, able to work into a biblical worldview, and we'd talk about the Scriptures and uh, the Lord evidently used that. Later on, the guy ended up buying a Bible, reading it, and it got him to come to church. But we went to church an hour away, and that didn't work out too well. But I think he is going to church to this day. And I, I pray that the Lord used some of those conversations uh, to, to help him in his Christian journey. And so, so that's, that's what I'm thinking, at least. That's the goal. It's not as though I'm trying to force you to do something. Uh, that you may not be gifted to do, to go knock on doors and ask the two EE questions. I don't think there's anything wrong with that, by the way. Um, but not everyone's gifted to do that. So that's why we're doing this. Now, as far as where we've been, we've looked at four. Four point, points already. And so remember the first one. The first point is that God created everything, and He is the loving ruler therefore, over everything. And He created us, mankind, to rule under Him. Does anybody know the Scripture reference for that? Well, I won't ask you, I guess, since it's a one-way conversation tonight. But Revelation 4.11, You are worthy, O Lord our God, to receive glory 
and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will they created and exist. And uh, so that's the first point. The second point is, well, we look out into the world, and that's not what we see. We don't see mankind ruling orderly over the creation. Why is that? Because man has rebelled against God, the, the creator, the ruler of all. And so what is the result? We have a life because of the fall. We have a life of sin and misery and, and the like. So you think about it, okay, creation, fall. Point number one, creation. Point number two, fall. And the scripture reference for that is Romans 3, 10 through 12. There is none righteous, no, not one, none who does good. And uh, all have turned away. There's none who seeks after God. So creation, fall. Well, guess what? We're sinners because of the fall. Well, God's not going to leave us in this condition forever. He's not going to allow us to rebel against Him indefinitely, right? So the third point is that God will punish sin with death and judgment for eternity. And the scripture for that is Hebrews 9, 17 or 27. See, I can't remember it all. But I do know where to go. I can turn to my Bible and find it. That's the important thing. Hebrews 9, 27. For it is appointed once for man to die. And after this, what? The judgment. So you have death and judgment. And that's a pretty scary thing. And so if you're talking about this, it's going to be pretty serious. Uh, But people need to be scared of that and consider their eternity before God. So there's creation. There is the fall. There is the judgment to come. Well, the point now shifts to the good news, to Christ. And so that's what we looked at last time is the atonement of Christ. God loved the world so much that He sent His only begotten Son, the Lord Jesus, to be the sinless, perfect, and righteous substitute to die in our place to take the punishment we deserve. And so the scripture for that is 1 Peter 3.18. Christ died once for sins, the just for the unjust, to bring us to God. So that brings us to the fifth point this evening. Really the last doctrinally because the, the sixth point will call for a decision. So the fifth point deals with Jesus, the risen ruler. Point number four deals with the atonement. Jesus died for our sins. He he took upon Himself our guilt. The Father poured out His wrath on His Son. And Jesus died. But God did not leave His Son in the grave. Glory, hallelujah, right? Jesus was raised from the dead. And so that's the fifth point in the outline. Now when you think about it, why would it be so important that we mention the resurrection in the presentation of the gospel? Well, if you were here a few weeks ago when we went through Romans 10, where Paul says that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus or that Jesus is Lord and believe in your own heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. If you remember that, you or a little bit of that sermon, I think you'll know the answer as to why the resurrection is so important. Why does Paul say that that must be part of our confession that Jesus is Lord and that God raised Him from the dead? 
We're going to talk about that tonight, so if you weren't here, if you've forgotten, maybe uh, you'll know by the time we leave this evening. Um, Basically, in essence, the resurrection proves that Jesus is who He claimed to be. That's it in a nutshell. And as we read from 1 Corinthians 15, the Apostle demonstrates very tightly, logically, scripturally, that the resurrection of Jesus Christ is central and crucial to the Gospel message. Right? He says there at the end, uh, if there is no resurrection, he says, we're still in our sins. And then in verse 19, we are of all men the most to be pitied. If the resurrection of Jesus is not true. And so it is fundamental. Without it, we would be in our sins. And so when we're talking about the resurrection, we, we, we are talking about the fact that Christ conquered sin. He conquered death. On the third day, He rose from the dead. And the Scripture proof for the fifth point of the outline is 1 Peter 1, 3. In His great mercy, He has given us new birth, and we've been born again, begotten again, into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And so, through His resurrection and His resurrection power, we, who are Christians, have been born again, and we've been born again because Christ Himself is the author of life, and He has the power to give it, and He rules over us, even today. So we're going to talk about these seven statements concerning the resurrection, beginning with letter A in your outline there. First of all, Jesus predicted His resurrection. The resurrection was uh, predicted in the Old Testament in Psalm 16. The uh, resurrection is prophesied there. In Acts 2, Peter calls David, who wrote Psalm 2 or 16, uh, a prophet. He spoke as a prophet, talking about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. In addition to that, during his earthly ministry, Jesus himself predicted the resurrection. In Mark 10, verses 33 and 34. He said, we are going up to Jerusalem. And the Son of Man will be betrayed to the chief priest and the teachers of the law. They will condemn Him to death and will hand Him over to the Gentiles who will mock Him and spit on Him, flog Him, and kill Him. Three days later, He will rise. So several times Jesus is recorded, recorded as having said this that He would raise or rise from the dead. Remember, He also said, um, you tear down this temple in three days, I'll raise it up again. And the Bible says He was speaking about the temple of His what? Body. So this tells us that Jesus' death is not plan B. That's why He came. But it also tells us that Jesus is credible, believable, that we should believe everything that He has said. The second thing we ought to see here is that Jesus was truly, actually raised from the dead. Uh, This was a historical event. This happened. Uh, In Mark 16, it says, beginning at verse 1, when the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome bought spices so that they might go to anoint Jesus' body. 
very early on the first day of the week, just after sunrise, they were on their way to the tomb and they asked each other, who will roll the stone away from the entrance of the tomb? But when they looked up, they saw that the stone, which was very large, had been rolled away. As they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in a white robe sitting on the right side and they were alarmed. Don't be alarmed, he said. You are looking for Jesus, the Nazarene, who is crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him? Go, tell his disciples and Peter, he is going ahead of you into Galilee. I'm probably showing my age here, but when I read that, I can't think. But to hear, uh, glad, and go tell that Jesus is risen from the dead. You know the, the acapella group from the 80s and 90s? You need to, you need to go look them up, okay? And uh, good stuff. And they have a song about this passage of Scripture that is wonderful. But we talk about in our songs that the stone is rolled away. And what a glorious thing that is. And it was an actual event. In Acts 1 and verse 3, Uh, Jesus, we are told, after His suffering, showed Himself to these men and gave many convincing proofs that He was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. It's not as though Jesus said, hey y'all, I'm risen, and He disappeared. He was around 40 days. You know, and right after His resurrection, He appeared to Thomas and said, look, put your hands in My side. He gave all of these infallible proofs that He had risen from the dead. By the way, in our text here, 1 Corinthians 15, did you, did you see what Paul wrote? Uh, he said that Jesus was seen by Cephas, then the twelve, and then verse 6, after that He was seen by over 500 brethren at once of whom the greater part remained to the present, but some had fallen asleep. Some of them had died when Paul wrote this letter. Many of them were alive. And and so for 500 witnesses to see the resurrected Jesus at one time really is incontrovertible. It is not debatable. And yet, through the the years, uh, men have tried to cover up the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. In fact, that was one of the lies circulating right after His resurrection is that the apostles stole His body. But they didn't steal His body because He hung around 40 days and He was seen by the disciples, all 12, and over 500 people at one time. And through the ages, you know, the I don't understand this. You can fill me in later. I don't understand why liberal, if you want to call them liberals, stay in the church because they don't believe the Bible. Let's just call them unbelievers because they don't believe the Bible. Oh, well, Jesus, yeah, He's a great teacher. Yeah, He he was crucified. Did He rise from the dead? Not really. There's this swoon theory. There's a hallucination theory. All these theories out there, blah, blah, blah. Well, guess what? He was raised from the dead. It's a historical fact. Can't deny it. Um, And this means that God is true to His Word. It means that He is faithful because He not only promised it, but He carried it out just as He promised. 
And so we have this great, I'll use this word apologetical fact. I know most of you know what that word means. Apology doesn't mean we apologize. Apology, biblically speaking, means defense, the defense of the faith. Here, here's the, the crux. Here, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, it's a foundational truth of Christianity, the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. It is historical fact. He actually was raised. Letter C there is that Jesus exalted or is exalted as the risen ruler. You know, we confessed earlier that part of his exaltation as the mediator between God and man is his resurrection. But also he's gone into heaven. He's ascended on high. And that's attached to his resurrected glory. So what happened to Jesus after He arose, children? He ascended, right? He rose to the highest place to sit on the highest throne. That's why He's not called Lord only. He's called Lord of Lords. Revelation 19, I think it is, King of Kings. All lords, all rulers, all kings must bow to Him. And if all kings and lords must bow to Him, surely it follows that all subjects of those kingdoms must bow to Him. And that is what we see in Scripture, in Psalm 2. In Ephesians 1, verse 19, it says this, speaking of God's power, it says, His power is like the working of His mighty strength, which He exerted in Christ when He raised Him from the dead and seated Him at His right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every title or name that can be given, not only in this present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under His feet, and appointed him to be head over everything for or to the church. Placed all things under his feet. That means that he is the ruler over all. He said in his great commission to us, all authority in heaven and on earth had been given to him in Matthew 28. And so he is the ruler. Letter D there, Jesus conquered sin. We've seen this in Romans, Paul's letter to the Romans, chapter 4 and verse 25. It says that uh, Jesus was delivered over to death for our sins and was raised to life for our justification. And we unpack that as to what that means, what Paul is saying there. And I, I believe that Paul is saying this, that through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, based on Romans 4.25, through His resurrection... God the Father was declaring and has declared to the world that He approved of His Son's work. And if He approved of the work of His Son, our Lord Jesus, that means that we who put our faith in Him are saved. That our sins have been forgiven. And what a glorious thing that is as well. He paid in full for our sins. A little later in Romans, in Romans 6, 5, Paul says this, If we have been united with Him in His death, 
we will certainly also be united with him in his resurrection. And so Jesus conquered sin. He overcame sin. That means that sin has no power or authority over me because I'm a Christian. It means that nobody, not even the devil himself, can point to me and say, look, Kevin, look at your sin. You're going to hell. I can say, no, look at my Savior. He died for me and He was raised from the dead and that means that the Father approved fully of His work on my behalf. And so will Paul, as Paul will go on to say in Romans 8, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. If you're following along, you can see there as well that Jesus conquered death. He not only paid the penalty for our sins so that we owe God nothing in that sense, we we don't have to go to hell forever to, quote, pay for our sins. We owe our lives to God, of course, out of thanksgiving. But not only did he conquer sin, he conquered death. I mean, the resurrection in and of itself proves that, right? In 1 Corinthians 15, a little later in the chapter, in verse 55, Paul, uh, he taunts death. I, I had a pastor one time, and this is, this is an OP pastor, okay, just so you know, OPC pastor. And he said this, he said, Paul was talking trash to death. It says this, verse 54, So when this corruptible has put on incorruption, when this old body has put on the incorruptible spiritual body, and this mortal has put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. And here it is. Oh, death, where is your sting? Oh, Hades, where is your victory? The sting of death is sin. And the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through Jesus Christ our Lord. And so he says, you know, be immovable and abound always in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. We know our labor is not in vain in the Lord because Jesus was raised from the dead. And we know that he's overcome death, and so Paul can taunt death uh, because of that very fact. And so, because he lives, we can face tomorrow. Because he lives, I will live. What a glorious truth that is. We're connected to Christ uh, by faith in Him. The letter F there says Jesus gives new life. And we see under this uh, fifth point of the two ways to live outline and are reminded by it that the resurrection is connected to man's regeneration, his rebirth, his new birth. 1 Peter 1.3, I want to read it from my translation. Uh, 1 Peter 1.3 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to His abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. So, so based on His work, including His resurrection, we have received new life by the Spirit. We've been born again. And so Paul will say in 2 Corinthians 5.17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is what? 
a new creation. Behold, all things have passed away. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. And then last there you can see Jesus will return to judge. Turn with me to Acts 17. This is a powerful, powerful truth related to the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. And you need to tuck this one away. You know, if you have to, write it in the back of your Bible somewhere or something where you can remember it, memorize it. But in Acts 17, Paul has a deduction, an inspired one at that, okay? He's an apostle. Uh, concerning the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Um, I'll just begin reading at verse 29. He's speaking to the Greeks here, the philosophers who love to reason and make arguments and they would debate all day and give speeches. Well, Paul stood up and gave a speech here at the Areopagus and at Mars Hill. And uh, he quotes their own poets. And then in verse 29 he says, Therefore, since we are the offspring of God, We ought not to think that the divine nature is like gold or silver or stone, something shaped by art and man's devising. Truly, these times of ignorance God overlooked, but now commands all men everywhere to repent. So he's basically, you see where he's going, he's telling the Greeks here, God's calling you Greeks, you non-Jewish people, to repentance. Look at verse 31. Because he has appointed a day, there's going to be one day of judgment, not a lot of judgments, one day of judgment on which He will judge the world in righteousness. That means according to righteousness. How do we know what is right? God tells us. Where does He tell us? His Word and specifically in the Ten Commandments, His law. So God has appointed a day on which He will judge the world in righteousness by the man whom He has ordained. Well, who is that? He has given assurance of this to all by raising Him from the dead. Think about other Scriptures. 2 Corinthians 5.10 says, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. How do we know that? Paul says here in Acts 17, We have assurance of that because God raised Jesus from the dead. Jesus is everything He said that He was. He's the eternally begotten Son of God and He will judge the world at the last day. And He says to all of us, if you confess Me before men, I will confess you before My Father. If you deny Me before men, I will deny you before My Father. And so you can see the weight of what the resurrection puts on the truth of the gospel message. And then last, I'll end here in Colossians 3. Just living in light of the resurrection. um, Colossians 3, beginning at verse 1 there. If then you are raised with Christ, and if you're a Christian, you you have been already. Spiritually, you've been raised from the dead. And uh, it is so certain that we will sit with Christ and reign with Christ, as Ephesians 1 says, as Paul says in Colossians, uh, we're already reigning with Him. 
If then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above where Christ is, sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth. For you die, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, appears, then you also will appear with Him in glory. He talks about putting sin to death. And so I think here, this portion of Scripture gives us course correction for when we become too enthralled or too attached to this world and this arrangement of things. You know, I do think the church of Jesus Christ has a glorious future. I do. I think we'll see that in Paul's letter to the Romans in chapter 11 at the end. But even if the glory days come tomorrow, and what I'm talking about is before Jesus' second coming, even if, the, if we want to say the golden age of the church is yet to come, that's not it. Think about that. Why? Because those who live during the golden age, they will die. They're still sin. They still live in this world that has not been refined and renewed according to 2 Peter 3. And so that Scripture, 2 Peter 3, as well as what Paul says here, puts our attachment to this world in check. Yes, as Christians, as the church, we should be thinking about future generations. So if we are able to build a building, yes, we should build a building that will last. Just like you want to build a house that lasts longer than 30 years if you're going to stay in your home and pay for it over 30 years, whatever. You see what I'm saying? You think about future generations, the promises that God gives to us as parents and our children and our children's children, yes. We want to leave a godly inheritance to our children and children's children. But, the resurrection reminds us that all things will become new. And what a glorious day that will be when the last two chapters or the last chapter of Revelation becomes reality. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we thank You that uh, the Gospel message is not hard to understand. We know it's profound. The very fact that the second person of the Godhead took upon human flesh is difficult for us to understand. And perhaps even more difficult and more full of awe is the fact that He took upon human flesh never to shed that body. That the second person of the Godhead because of the work of redemption that was done for us He was raised and He is seated at Your right hand with that body and will have that body for eternity to come. All to accomplish our salvation. We praise You for that. We praise You for Your mercy, Your goodness to us. Help us, Lord, to live with that resurrected power in putting sin to death and walking in newness of life. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.